the Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 884 for Monday, August 9th, 2021. Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you usually send in your questions, your tips, and your cool stuff found, and we usually share your questions and answer your questions, share your tips, share your cool stuff found, share some cool stuff found on our own with the goal being that we each learn at least five new things every single time we get together. Today is going to be a little bit different, folks. Uh, The goal is still to learn five new things. But we're going about it in a different way. Uh, We had to record this episode a little early because of some travel and such. And so we decided to try an experiment. And so we're going to do a series of deep dives today. Mini dives, snorkels, I don't know, uh, where we go through some of the cool things that we use and we tell you about them. Uh, We are giving ourselves permission to fail today uh, more so than usual. You know, we usually have a a relatively high bar for ourselves where we like to be prepped and we are prepped, but we're doing this a little differently. And so it it might be a completely failed experiment. One thing that we are also giving ourselves permission to do is use video more today than we usually do. I need to say up front, this will not become a habit. This show is an audio show. Yes, we do record and stream to video. And yes, we do release uh, segments of the show and and indeed the entire show. As videos uh, on our YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash podcast. But um, but today, but usually we err on the side of making certain that the content is not, that video is not required to enjoy the content. Today, that may or may not be true. We're still going to really try to make this work in an audio fashion, but we might, that's the first place we might fail. And again, we don't intend to make it a habit, but we're going to have some fun with it and see where it goes. Five new things. That's our goal. Uh, for now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, no longer being overrun by <laughs> the wildlife. <laughs> That's good. This is John F. Braun. We're being overrun by uh, by um, by rain here, in at least in New Hampshire. It's been crazy, man. It's, oh, yeah. We, we had a, a flash flood alert. Yeah. Well, yeah. My little beach. We usually get that. My little pool overflowed our, our little inflatable pool. It's not that little, but um, it, it hmm. got it got too full. I, I had gotten in the habit of draining it when after rainstorms and we had a big one yesterday. I was going to drain it today and I woke up this morning. And it was like, oh, oh, so some of the sand around it washed away. It's kind of a pain in the neck. Hmm. But anyway, uh, all right, let's let's just dive right in. Puns intended. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We have we have a jingle for this. I think we have a jingle for this, John. And uh, it's time for a deep dive. There we go. That's right. All right. Uh, The first one that I am going to start with is my recent forays into cord cutting, John. And it's been amazing. We are no longer Comcast customers. We have no link to Comcast in our house anymore for our internet. Of course, we're using consolidated communication and that really is the linchpin to all this. If we did not have uh, an alternative to using 
Comcast a better alternative to using Comcast for Internet. Comcast was fine. It's just that consolidated is better because I get symmetrical gigabit fiber for less money than I was paying Comcast. So uh, that is certainly step one of this. And then with that sort of opening the door, we started looking at what we were paying and we couldn't pay Comcast less. They, they forced us to, to buy a package from them that included TV, phone and Internet. And if we just wanted any one of those three, it was the same price because they were going to give us the other two for one hundred and twenty bucks a month. And so it 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 started to become this very and it, it really isn't just one hundred and twenty a month with all the extra fees and everything. It actually becomes closer to one seventy five a month. I know it's crazy, right, that the package is one twenty and then whenever all is said and done, they have to you have to rent the box and the cable card and the this and that and the other and the fees and the yada yada. And suddenly it's one hundred and seventy five bucks a month. So it's yeah, cheap. that's about. That's about where I'm at. Yeah. So it's actually cheaper for us to pay for uh, consolidated, which is 70 flat, uh, 70 a month flat for symmetrical gigabit. And then uh, whatever streaming TV service we want to use. And we do like to watch things on network TV. We like to watch some sports. And so having something is uh, important for us, for people that don't watch things on network TV and don't watch sports. You can probably get away for paying with paying a lot less, but uh, we do. And so uh, we have been experimenting for the last couple of weeks with both YouTube TV and Fubo TV. And what I'm showing here on the screen right now is is YouTube TV. And this has been uh, it's been fantastic, John. I have to say uh, YouTube TV, they get it. And it is um, the, the user interface of YouTube TV works really well. The biggest change for us, in fact, is not so much being away from Comcast, but not having TiVo anymore. We have been TiVo people since 1999. Mm-hmm. May, uh, no, 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 no. Summer of 2000. Summer of 2000. So 21 years since we bought our first TiVo. That has been the biggest change uh, for us. But YouTube TV, they get it. Right. So when you launch YouTube TV, you're brought to a home screen. You can choose to either have it mimic the experience of live TV and start playing something right away. Or you can turn that off. We turn that off. I have no interest in any of that. Uh, but it, it, what's great is we have the option and then you can set up. Uh, they have what they call their DVR, uh, which is a cloud DVR. Uh, but you tell it what you want it to record for you. And then it records your local version of whatever show that is. So you get your local commercials and all of that stuff, even if it's a you know nationwide show. And so uh, you can uh, if you're looking at this with us, you can see some of the things that we've watched. There's a lot of things in our library, which is our DVR uh, section. They call it your library. You get three tabs, library, home and then live. Uh, but in your library, You've got that's your DVR. We've got a lot of Olympic stuff because I told it sure go get the Olympics. One nice thing about the YouTube TV is that your storage is unlimited uh, and they save things for nine months. So uh, when it when we were setting it up, the Olympics were just starting. They're like, hey, do you want to watch some Olympics? And I was like, sure. I checked the box and kind of went nuts with it. And so you see a lot of Olympics things in my library. And then you can also see the the rest of the stuff that we have there, like a Rick and Morty. So do you oh rick and morty and that show is messed up <laughs> you were asking a question though <laughs> um yeah i mean what, what was it with the turkeys man 
anyways um so do you run the youtube app on your tv excellent question uh i i run the youtube tv app on my tv so we have an lg tv and there are separate apps for youtube and youtube tv Uh, the same is true on your iphone if you if you're looking at my screen here you can see that i'm in uh well it's i'm in microsoft edge but it's a chromium browser um and it, it's offering to have me download the Chrome app of YouTube TV to my Mac. I'm not going to do that on this particular Mac because I, I don't watch TV on this Mac. This is the Mac in the studio. Uh, but you can. And you can do it on your phone, your iPad, and all of that stuff. And they do have apps available for Apple TV and Roku and all of that. There was some, I think it was for a, a brief spell, there was some service that blocked the YouTube TV app. And so all Google did was they put YouTube TV functionality inside the YouTube app and essentially, you know, uh, caused a little bit of a stalemate and said, hey, I dare you to block the YouTube app from all your customers, which, of course, this company, whoever it was, wouldn't do. And so that that ended real fast. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Yeah. I have an LG uh as well so yeah so you probably you certainly um could install the youtube tv app on your apple tv if you don't have uh, an lg tv you know if if the app isn't available for your lg tv but i think it i think it probably is and so you get the same experience everywhere um you can have i believe up to six people connected to your account and what's nice is each person gets their own dvr library so like my daughter can put the things in that she wants even though yes i realized you're seeing that i watched the bachelorette here the bachelorette is the key to me getting mac geek gab prepped early in the week my family watches the bachelorette and i sit there on the couch with my family half watching the bachelorette i probably know more about it than i think i do uh answering mac geek gab questions on my laptop so uh but you know that's so that's why it's in my account and not my daughter's account, because we do it as a family event. And as the kids get older, the more family events that we have, the better. And uh, as you would expect, and it seems weird to say this out loud, but I have a point here. Once it starts recording something, you can start watching it from the beginning. You don't have to, uh, you know, you don't have to to wait till it's finished or anything. You just go ahead and start record start watching so if i fire open you know rick and morty here uh we can see that okay you know if i've watched the episode already i can mark the episode or even the entire season as watched uh and you can see some of these things are dvr'd episodes that it got for me and then others are set as vod video on demand where it's in YouTube's library. And so it's able to present that to me as part of my subscription. The subscription cost is 65 bucks a month with YouTube TV uh, and you get all this stuff. And, and, you know, so here we go, right? If I say, I'm going to play the DVR version of this uh, up, it comes, you can see my local commercials. YouTube TV is nice. The uh, I can fast forward 15 seconds. Now what we're doing here on my, um, on my browser is a different experience than I would get on my, um, on my TV. And that's an important thing to know. Every one of these services, each app is going to act a little bit differently based upon the platform that it's on. And they all offer like a seven day free trial. I highly recommend you take, you can't not take advantage of the trial. You can't just choose to skip the trial, but definitely take advantage of it. And 
test it where you're going to be watching. Because as you saw in my browser, when I hit the 15 second skip, it just skips, right? When I hit the 15 second skip on my TV, I start getting a little thumbnail along the timeline. It pauses the, the TV's action and it shows me just a little thumbnail. And so I can 15, 15, 15. Oh, I went too far back. 15 go very smooth experience with YouTube TV. And it works really well. Uh, I, so as far as the user experience goes, YouTube TV of the ones I've tested absolutely wins. Like it just works. It's, does it look different than my TiVo interface? Of course. Is it just as easy to use? Of course. It works great. And if I want to go to live TV, I can go to live TV. It'll show me a grid view of, you know, what's currently on and where. And then I can just choose, you know, what channel to watch. If we wanted to watch Maury, we've got uh, eight minutes left. Oh, it wants me to verify my home area, which I guess evidently I haven't done on this browser. Uh, so I'm not going to go through and do that now. But but that's one of those things so that you're it's sure that it's showing you, like I said, the right commercials at the right time uh, and all of that. So that's YouTube TV, John. The other one that I've been testing is Fubo TV. And the re at Fubo.tv. And we've got links for all of these in the show notes here. And the thing that got me to start testing Fubo, John, is that YouTube TV does not have the same channel lineup uh, that Fubo has. And one of the things that Fubo has is our local sports station, NESN. And we like to watch the Bruins sometimes. And we also like to watch the local UNH games if we're not at them. And many times those show up on Nessun. Uh, Fubo prides itself in being the network or the service that has access to all your regional sports networks, your RSNs. YouTube TV has been divesting itself of those relationships. Uh, and so they do not have Nessun anymore. And it's not entirely sure if they're going to get it back. Uh, I think Nessun charges them five bucks a customer. Fubo passes that cost right along to you, right? So effectively, Fubo is the same price uh, with add-ons if you want, but Fubo winds up with your your regional sports networks being that same 65 bucks a month. Uh, but Fubo only has a 30-hour DVR for your account. So unlimited YouTube TV, 30-hour for Fubo. Um, their user experience... <sighs> especially on our LG TV. And to be fair, the app is new. It's new as of like May, I think, John. But um, it's not great. In fact, it's pretty terrible. We can't really watch anything with it. For example, on our TV, when we go to fast forward things in Fubo, it just it's like a traditional fast forward. There's no 15 second skip and there's no thumbnail. So we hit fast forward and I can watch the counter go and the screen is black otherwise. And I just have to guess blind whether or not I'm where I want to be in the show. So that's non-optimal. It, it, it really makes watching things on it quite terrible, especially when we could watch the same thing, at least currently on YouTube TV. So what we've been saying we want is the YouTube TV experience on our TV with Fubo's lineup. Uh, you can pay more. Uh, with Fubo, you can pay an extra, uh, I think, an extra five or six bucks a month to add a family plan to that. And that increases your DVR from 30 hours to 250 hours, uh, but still more limited than what YouTube TV has. And the biggest one for us, and this doesn't seem to be universal on Fubo TV, John, 
but it's definitely something we've experienced more often than not. We will DVR a show. It will start. And this happened with the bachelor, the other bachelorette, the other night, whatever it was they were watching. Uh, you know, we went, we turned it on and the show had already started. It was, it starts at 8 PM Eastern. Uh, it might've been eight twenty by the time we like finished cleaning up from dinner or whatever. We go in, we hit play and it gives me two options. It says, yes, this is in progress. The recording in progress. Do you want to join it live or do you want to stop the recording so that you can go back to the beginning? And it's like, well, I want neither one of those things. I want to keep it recording and start at the beginning like I can on YouTube. And Fubo was like, yeah, that's not an option. Uh, and evidently, this has been a problem with them for quite some time, especially it becomes a real problem with sports games where they add an extra hour to the end of the recording just to make sure, you know, you don't miss overtime or whatever that is. And so people sometimes have to wait hours after a game has completed to start watching it. That doesn't seem like a good experience for a service that prides itself on being there for sports primarily. Um, but, you know, that's um, that's that's been our experience with it. Um, I'm hoping that to see them uh, get better with that. We will keep an eye on it because, like I said, they're they're. Channel offerings are way better with Fubo than they are with YouTube TV for us. But that's really what it comes down to is the for us. Uh, they're about the same price, like I said, and and they are. Um, oh, showing the wrong thing. Uh, they are. Um, they're about the same price and they are um, equally uh, targeting, you know, similar audiences. So uh, but YouTube TV is the one we're leaning towards, even though we're probably going to be unhappy about not having access to Nesson. So I don't know what we're going to do at the moment. Access to Nesson isn't that big of a deal for us. So we're hoping that by the time it matters, somebody will have sorted out either YouTube will have added it or Fubo will have cleaned up their interface for our TV and we can actually, you know, suffer through it a little bit better. So that's where I am on that. Any other questions, John? Nope. All right. <laughs> well, you want to take us to the next deep dive, my friend? Yes. So I'm going to do a little dive into my charging choices, um, Chi and otherwise. Okay. So uh, let's go to the video. Ah, and there we are. Okay. Um, the first one here, uh, and you can see I purchased it in 2018. Uh, when I got my iPhone 8, which supports Chi, yep. I was like, um, yeah, the phone didn't come with a Qi charger and I was looking for one, uh, budget. And this is one that came to my attention. Um, so I picked one up. Um, it's, uh, the Samsung Qi certified wireless charging pad with two amp wall charger. Um, and it, Performs as advertised, works fine. Um, has a little um, a little ring on it that um, will be one color. It'll be blue when it's charging, and it'll go green when your device is fully charged. So sure. that's kind of nice. Sure. Um, and now let's move along here. Um, yes, yeah, sir. I'm going to go to the next one here. Great. So. 
um, when I look at the page on Amazon, they're like, oh, there's a newer model of this item. I'm like, okay. Um, and this is the Samsung Qi certified fast charge wireless charger pad 2019 edition with cooling fan. Okay. <laughs> That's nice. Um, That's actually really smart. I've because my Qi devices are always hot when I pick mm-hmm. them up off the charger. Oh, that will that will because I've had my devices stop charging. I got to uh, get one of these. Right. Interesting. OK. Yeah. Go on. Sorry. OK. So. um, So we got those two here. Um, Let's go to the next one. Let's see. Uh, all right. Copy URL. Paste that in here. So when I got my MacBook Pro, um, it comes with a, I believe it's a 85 watt charger. Okay. Okay. That's kind of nice, but sure. I wanted, I wanted more. Okay. Um, <laughs> and what I found, what is going on here? It's not showing. Why is it not showing? All right. But Just anyways, tell us about it. It's so fine. It's, the, it's yeah. the Anchor PowerPort Atom PD4. Um, and this one got the juice, man. It it can provide up to 100 watts of charging power. Okay. Um, it has two USB-A ports and two USB-C ports. Nice. So you can charge up to four devices. And, so, and will each of those USB-C ports provide a hundred watts of power if that's the only thing connected to that port if that's the only thing connected there to the device uh, i believe if you have two devices then i think it splits it 50 50 right but if you only have one it it'll give a single device 100 watts if the device requests up, up that to. yeah yes. it, up to okay yeah and it's probably not 100 because i think the chief standard falls just shy of that right it's mm-hmm. like 98 or something like that but yes okay yeah cool cool so, um, it's a hundred bucks, you know, it's a little pricey, but, um, you know, it does what I need. And I, I got two of them. Okay. Uh, right. yeah, those are, those would be nice to have probably too big to travel with, but nice to have, cause I've got one of those too. And it sits in the living room and, and sort of oh, becomes the right. charging station, uh, for the living room. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a bit weighty, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could still put it in your computer bag, but, um. You know, there are other options that we'll Correct. talk about in a moment here. So next, this is a device. Uh, so I remember I saw these guys at, um, yeah, go away, Ed. No, I don't want notifications. <laughs> How annoying. Okay, so um, LumaCharge is a company that I ran into at CES um, a couple of years ago. And I think that this is... Uh, quite a unique device here. It's they call it the universal phone dock with fast wireless charging. Okay, so it does chi, but then it also has, uh, and you can uh, well, you can't. <laughs> if you're looking at the video, you can see it, and then it has a little dial on it. What is that for? You may ask. Um, uh, it provides. Let's see here. Uh, the one I have, yeah, so it provides a lightning port, a, um, 
a micro USB port and uh, I believe a USB C. So, so that's all, that's for if you don't have Qi, mm-hmm. it it will it will actually charge via a wired connection, and you get to pick which one pops out of it. Is that right? Yes. Great. That's cool. Oh, I like that. Huh. Yeah, and so I. Yeah, and I use this regularly. So, uh, so yeah, uh, fifty bucks, which uh, I think uh, for what it does is uh, is pretty good. Cool. Um. Okay. Next, we're gonna we're gonna get a current device that I have in my car. Okay. Uh, for charging things. Um. It's the Anchor Roav Smart Charge F2 Bluetooth FM Transmitter. Wireless audio adapter and receiver. Car charger with Bluetooth car locator app support with two USB ports. Um, and you can do all sorts of things. I, I mean, the, the, the number of things it does is pretty impressive. So, um, so the one that I have has uh, two ports. They're, you know, smart. You know, they'll... Um, charge as fast as uh, as your device will uh, sure. will be willing to accept. Uh, but some of the other things it does. So it has there, there's an iOS app. Um, but some of the other neat things that it does. So uh, it's an FM transmitter. So I can send audio. So I, I wouldn't say it's it's you know car play. Uh, maybe kind of. Sure. But anyways, so I can stream using Bluetooth from my phone to this and then my radio in the car. Um, and you, you tell it what frequency you want. So I pick, you know, an unoccupied channel, which is kind of a challenge in the metro area. I think I have it at like 87 uh, megahertz or something like that. Um, but you can stream music from your phone to this device and it comes through your car radio. Sure. Okay. Okay. Um, so this is for people that don't have Bluetooth in their car or, right. or, or CarPlay, of course. Um, mm-hmm. But th- if your car doesn't have Bluetooth or, or CarPlay, um, mm-hmm. then, then that's this device, but you have a, there's a newer version of this, right? That you've got on your list. Um, yes. Uh, but, but some of the other features. So in the app, here's another thing, um, which is, is pretty cool. Um, it'll tell you the status of your car's battery. So it shows oh, the voltage. Right, because it's it's plugged into your car. Oh, that's pretty cool. I like that. That's smart, man. Yeah, and it actually comes up. So normally batteries in cars are about 12 volts. Yep. Um, mine actually comes in a little higher. Uh, I got a new car battery a couple of years ago, but it actually comes up to like 14 volts. So that's nice. Is it is that when the car is running versus when the car is not running? Yes. Okay, yes. that makes sense. Yeah, so you're seeing power from the alternator more likely than just right. from the battery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, if it's just sitting there, it'll, it'll show a lower voltage. So, But I think the new one is the one to recommend to people because it's the same price. It's $25.50 for the new one, right? And, mm-hmm. um, and that's basically all the same functionality except you get uh, a USB-C port and a USB-A port, right? Correct. Yeah. And it's got um, noise canceling on the Bluetooth mic. Yes. And another thing you can do with this is you can make a phone call. 
<laughs> right. Right. And I, I tried this the other day. So it has, you know, a little little uh, button on it um, for making a phone call. So you can also make a phone call with it. And let me see with the last feature. Um, oh, yeah. It has a, a Bluetooth locator. So if you're running the app and you leave your car, it will mark where it is and then show you where it is on a map in case you're forgetful and forgot where you parked your car. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Very cool. Kind of like an AirTag. And yeah, so yeah, as you pointed out, there's a, a link to the newer version that uh, as far as I can tell, the difference is that it has USB-C and USB-A, whereas... The, the, the one that I have has two USB-A ports. And noise cancellation in the microphone uh, and Bluetooth yes. 5. So, yeah, this, in fact, this one's 50 cents less ex- or 40 cents less expensive than the than the older one. So I would definitely go to mm-hmm. the newer one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, moving on. Keep uh, keep, keep moving here. We're 10 minutes into this segment just to uh, to give you a, a, a thing. So. Let's, 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 I know you and I said we were trying to do 10 minute segments. Let's see Mm -hmm. if we can do 15 minute segments. Okay. (laughs) All right. Next. We don't know Um, what we're doing here. We're making, like I said, we're making this up. So there you go. Yeah. Um, okay. So this, as you can see, I got this in 2018. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to get, a, a, a mount, um, a chi mount, uh, in my car. Okay, and I chose this one, and it does exactly as advertised. Um, the iAudi Easy One Touch Wireless Qi Fast Charge Car Mount Kit. iAudi makes good stuff for the car, man. I've had good mm-hmm. experience. Yeah, that's a good choice. Yeah, so it's very flexible. Um, you know, it has an adjustable mount for various phones. You can see, or well. <laughs> if you look at it the, and then w- when you put the phone in you can see there's a little button there once you put it in in the mount um it'll start charging and there's a green led on it and that's pretty much it for this and then they have a um and they had a, a slightly newer version so that we're gonna we'll link to okay um always buy the newer version folks yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, 40 bucks. Cool. So that's great. Um, all right. Next here. So uh, let's talk about battery packs, Dave. Okay. Um, so I like this one here. So there's two that I like. So this one, um, uh, our friends at MyCharge um, provided. Um, but it's the MyCharge wireless charger, portable charger, power bank, dual USB, 10 watts, 2.4 amps, 10,000 milliamp hour battery. So that's that's pretty pretty hefty. Um, it has two USB-A ports and a micro USB that I think you use to uh, charge it. But here's the interesting thing. So it's a Qi charger. Well, you can charge either using the USB ports or it's a Qi charger, but so you can put the phone on top and it'll it'll charge your phone, but it also can receive a charge from another Qi charger. Check that out. Uh, oh, okay. So it can be passed through Qi. 
Exactly. You can you can lose all kinds of power to heat if you try with this scenario. You could charge mm-hmm. it from another one. Mm-hmm. You could stack four of them and uh, and 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 heat the air. Okay, mm-hmm. that's cool though. I mean, it, well, <laughs> super handy if you've got like a bedside charger with Qi. You put this thing on it. You put your phone on it. You wake up in the morning. Everything's charged up. You take it. You're ready to go. I like it. That's good. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, we got time for like two more things at this pace, maybe. All right. Um, all right, let's look here. Um, all right, and this is one I forgot how I learned about it, but let me okay. copy the link URL here. So this is another um, Qi power bank. It's a similar functionality, but it's, a, I think, a little less expensive than the one um, I just mentioned. But the Jarv PPS Wireless Exec Power Delivery 10,000 milliamp hour power bank with 10 watt wireless charging and Type C 18 watt power delivery, and uh, it's fifty bucks. Cool. And I use this um, on occasion as well to uh, charge my phone. Cool. Uh, let's see. I, I would say skip the next one because you you focus yes. mostly on phones. And so let's stick with phones on this for your last one. And then in a future episode, we will do a dive into chargers for our Macs because there's a lot to talk about there. Okay. Um, all right. Where are we? All right. The, the, all right. The last one I'll mention here. Um, and I think you have this one as well, Dave. Um, all right. So copy the URL, but I like, this little ditty um, from Ventev. Um, it's a, a T-charger. Uh, what's nice about it is that you can move the um, charging element up and down, and you can also change the orientation. Um, and the other thing I like about it, and actually my phone is sitting in it right now, um, we've talked about this before, uh, the LED will blink a couple of times when it's charging and then it'll turn off. Right. Which, uh, especially at night, you know, having a big, you know, bright blue LED is kind of annoying. So <laughs> yeah. I like the, I like the design of this. No, that's, the, that's my favorite one to have next to my bed for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like it. That's good. It's good. Cool. I like that. This is good. I, I didn't know about this Jarv company. So, yeah, I like it. Good stuff, man. Fun, All fun. Right. All right. So let's. Uh... Um, let's. Uh... All right. So the next thing that I will take us to is Plex. Uh, mm. And so I use Plex to manage my uh, all of my local media. Right. And and so the the. I think it's important to talk about two things with Plex. The first thing is price. Plex is free. We'll dig into the details here, of course, but I want to make sure everybody knows Plex is free for the most part. They do have a Plex pass, which is either five bucks a month, 40 bucks a year, or currently 120 bucks for a lifetime uh, that adds some additional features. And I'll make sure to highlight which features those are. You can definitely get started for free, and that's how I recommend you get started. So what is Plex? Well, what Plex says is Plex brings together all the media that matters to you. Your personal collection will look beautiful alongside stellar streaming content. Enjoy live TV and DVR, a growing catalog of great web shows, news and podcasts, 
It's finally possible to enjoy all the media you love in a single app on any device, no matter where you are. I think that Plex buried the lead because the very last thing they say is the key. No matter where you are. That's the key to what makes Plex work, right? All your media, no matter where you are. Now, there's an asterisk there. It's all your non-DRM'd media. So if you've got DRM media inside your Netflix app, inside your Apple TV Plus app or whatever, or Apple TV app on Apple TV Plus, that doesn't work with Plex. It needs to be non-DRM media. You need to either rip it yourself or acquire it however you choose. Uh, so when you, when, and I and I will explain how to get Plex set up uh, a little bit later here because there's a couple different ways. But we talk so much about Plex on the show. I just wanted to go through what I do with Plex. So here's my home library. It is, um, you can see things that I've added uh, here. You can see things that I've added to movies and TV shows. You can also see different playlists that I've created. If we go to the movies list, you can see my entire movie library, or if it's currently organized alphabetically. These are all stored on my Synology disk station, but you can install Plex on your Mac. You can install it even on a Raspberry Pi if you want, although be aware that the CPU that runs it will define whether the Plex server can do transcoding or not. And that's an important thing to test and check with. But if you've got a Raspberry Pi and you want to try it out, hey, nothing's stopping you and it might work out just fine. Uh, Plex allows me to just have my media anywhere I want, right? That's what we said, no matter where I am. And that's the key here. So you can see that I uh, was taking our TV shows from the TiVo and slurping them into Plex. I can't do that anymore because I don't use TiVo anymore, as I mentioned. But I have uh, TV series in Plex. Actually, I've got some that I ripped from DVDs uh, that we enjoy. And so I can watch my TV shows wherever I want. If there's a movie that I want to watch, I just go and tell it I want to play the movie. And then, you know, it and what's cool is when you pull your media into Plex, all the metadata that you're seeing here, the the title, uh, the, well, the, the um, poster image, the description, the actors, the trailer, all of that stuff that is on Plex. They pull all of that stuff together when they pull when they see when it sees the movie file. So you put the movie file in a folder that is your Plex library. Uh, you name it a certain way, and it's pretty flexible with how you name it, but I generally name it movie and then year in parentheses and then dot whatever the format is. So usually dot MKV if I've ripped it from a DVD or dot MP4 if I want to convert it into that format or whatever. And then from there, Plex looks and says, ah, OK, I'm going to check my databases, pull in, figure out what movie it is, pull in all that metadata and then organize it for you. And that's it. And that's how it works. Then you can take these things and sync them to your uh, iPhone, iPad. Now, Plex, like like we were talking about with YouTube TV and Fubo, Plex has apps for all of your devices. So your iPhone, your iPad, your TVs, your Apple TV, Roku, right? All of that stuff. There are Plex apps available, so you can just stream your content directly. Streaming content from your Plex server, either locally or remotely. So I go to an Airbnb. I launch the Plex app on their smart TV I log into my Plex account and boom, now I have access to my library over there. It works just fine. That is all included in the free version of Plex. If you want to download content to sync 
to your device to watch offline. That requires a Plex Pass. If you want to use the Plex Amp app in your car to listen to your music that you can also store in your Plex library, that too requires a subscription. Uh, and I will pull up the music thing here so that we can all see it. Uh, but pulls in, you know, all of your stuff and uh, and, you know, again, the metadata pulls it all together. They, like I said, they have an app called Plex Amp. You can play music uh, in your web browser and on the Plex apps on your uh, various devices. That's part of the free version. The Plex Amp app, which is a new CarPlay specific iOS app. Uh, they might have an Android and uh, Google Auto version of it, too. Uh, that requires a Plex Pass subscription. But again, uh, it's, you know, 40 bucks a year, five bucks a month, or currently 120 bucks for a lifetime. It goes up. When I bought my lifetime pass for Plex, it was 70. So if you, I, again, test it, use it for free. But when it's time to move, uh, I would, I recommend the lifetime thing. So that's Plex. Right. That, that's what I got. Uh, Can at least you explain, my spiel. so you talked about transcoding. Yes. Earlier. Um, why is that important? Good question. So your uh, you may choose to store your uh, content at super high quality, right? So if you rip it from a Blu-ray, you probably want to keep it at Blu-ray resolution, right? So you get this big 26 gig file or something for a, you know, whatever, two hour movie. Uh, and that's what you store on your Plex server. When you watch it on your TV, uh, whatever format that movie's in may or may not match what the app that you're running on your TV can display natively. Uh, it may or may not watch, match what your iPhone can display natively, uh, your Apple TV, your iPad. Apple's devices are notoriously restrictive in the formats that they can display. So Plex and the, the Plex server and the Plex app negotiate this when the uh, when you start playing something. And then they decide, can I send it natively? If I can, I will, because that way the device gets all the data and it can display it the best that it can. If it can't, then it's up to the Plex server to transcode, to convert either the audio or the video or both into a format that's usable on that client device. And that is where transcoding comes into play. The other time transcoding comes into play is if you want to download to your iPad, for example, I don't need to download a full 4K movie onto my iPad. I, I can't see a difference, to be perfectly honest, mm -hmm. on a little, you know, 11 inch screen. Some people may, and then you can choose to do that. But I, cho I choose to save things in what Plex calls medium quality on my iPad so that I don't fill the stupid thing up with movies uh, with only just a few movies. And so then it's up to the server to transcode it. And the faster the server can do that the better off I am. Uh, obviously, if it needs to transcode it for real-time playing, then it needs to be able to do that in real-time. So, yeah. Makes sense? Answer your question? Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. Any other questions? No. All right. Well, then, that's Plex, my friend. Shall we move on to uh, to the next one? Yes. Okay. So, I thought I'd highlight some of my favorite Network tools cool. to help diagnose what's going on. I like it. Or when things go wrong. Sure. Um, so the first one is network utility. Now, unfortunately, I don't know why Apple did this, but uh, Big Sur 
they deprecated it. If you try to run it, it'll say, yeah, sorry, um, you're going to have to run all this stuff from the command line. The good news is that you can take a version of network utility from a earlier version of Mac OS and it runs just fine under Big Sur. Nice. So again, I don't know why they did this. Um, the part that I like, so it, it, you know, do, you know, port mapping and ping and trace route and, and all that stuff, which you can, again, r- run from the command line. But the one thing that I like with this is that it has an info screen um, that'll show you statistics that I don't know how to get from the command line, Dave. Okay. Um, so it'll, um, the one that I think is most interesting is that it'll show you send and receive errors. Um, oh, you can see that from the command line. Uh, I will find the command. I believe it's uh, keep going. I think it's IP config. Um, okay. That. Maybe. Uh, all right. I thought it was maybe Netstat, but, uh, or it could be IP config. I, IF config will show IF you config. that okay. stuff. I think, I think I'm looking here. Mm, no, it doesn't seem like it does. It doesn't seem like it does. Yeah. If one of you knows, send us an email, feedback at com. Yeah. And if your network is working properly, um, you can send something to feedback at com. That's right. Yes. In fact, it often requires a working network to send to feedback at com. <laughs> so um, the part that I think is useful is, again, uh, uh, typically if you get tons of send and receive errors, you probably have a bad cable. Yeah. Um, so this can help uh, resolve that. Um, next up, um, this is a tool that I think you made me aware of, Dave, but um, it's one of my favorites. IPERF3. What does IPERF3 do? It basically lets you check your network throughput. Um, so you get your favorite package manager, and uh, IPERF3 will be in there somewhere, um, homebrew or, or otherwise. Um, and then basically you run it on one machine in server mode, and then you run it, and oh, you're running it. Look at Look at you go. You you keep talking. I, I got you, man. I got you covered. <laughs> yep. So IPER3 is a great tool to check your network throughput to make sure everything is working properly. Okay. Yep. Um, next up, um, this is something that you may not know exists, but we're going to tell you about it. Um, so there's a Wi-Fi menu in the... Um, in your menu bar, you know, it's little radio waves here. If you click on that, um, no matter what version of the OS you're running, it'll show you some things, like you can turn it on and off. It'll show you uh, available hotspots, like I'm looking right now, and it's like, oh, you can connect to your uh, iPhone 12 uh, as a hotspot if you want. Um, and it shows my, uh, you know, my network. Um, here's the the fun thing about it is that if you hold down option and click on that menu, you get a whole boatload of additional information to the network that you're connected to. So I see the IP address, the router, uh, what version of security, the BSSID, uh, channels, uh, gigahertz, 80 megahertz, um, et cetera. Cool. <laughs> cool. Um, if Just you have set if you have set up, there's an app called Wi-Fi Explorer in there 
that is that I've kind of I found Uh way better than iStumbler just in terms it shows all the same data. The presentation of it has helped me in troubleshooting more than the way the iStumbler presents data. So if you've got set up, check out Wi-Fi Explorer for sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Well, you, you beat me to the chase. (laughs) So, um, iStumbler, um, was one of the first tools I use that will show you various information, um, mostly for uh, seeing what is surrounding you in the Wi-Fi world. Um, and in the old days, what would happen is, uh, it, w- it would show you what channel that you're on, and it would also show what channel other people were on in your neighborhood. Um, Eero, uh, prior access points that I have would actually let you set the channel, um, like Apple's airport and, and stuff like that. Um, I don't think the Eero lets you do that. It just Mo- figures most it out. mesh setups choose their own channels and leave you out of mm-hmm. the mix. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Yep. Okay. And All Wi-Fi right. Explorer, they just lay it out better so that you can easily see, oh, you know, that channel is stacked with people. I want to be over here. So you don't have to like, you don't have to process the data. It just shows it to you graphically. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, another tool that I ran into, and this um, is probably more appropriate for enterprise users, but uh, as an individual, you can run it too. And I've actually done this. Um, NetSpot. So NetSpot also will do Wi-Fi uh, analysis, but here's the cool thing that it does um, that I think other tools do, but um, it lets you do what's known as a site survey. So what you do is you import a map of your premises into it and then you you start running it and it will basically once you're done and then you'll say, you know, sample the Wi-Fi, sample the Wi-Fi, sample the Wi-Fi. And it will then when you're done with this operation, it'll basically show you the signal strength um, that the the machine is receiving Hmm. in various locations. Um, the good news about this is, I mean, it's probably kind of redundant with a mesh system, but especially with uh, older um, or traditional Wi-Fi a- uh, access points. Yeah. Um, it, it, it will help you identify dead spots and you, you could then maybe, um, you know, change the location of your access point. Sure. Again, mesh systems kind of do this for you, but. Yeah, but but it not not I mean they try to do their best, but if you could if you know that you could move something to another location to spread it out better, like NetSpot is mm-hmm. the way to get that information. I know, I think NetSpot's great. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mhm. All right. Um another tool that lets you see what's going on in in your world is um Angry IP scanner. All I don't right. Know why they're so angry, but <laughs> But yeah, you, you you run it and it'll basically scan your network and show you the devices and ping and, and various things like that. Um, probably a good tool if you think that there's something wacky happening on your network or there's somebody on it that shouldn't be or a device, you know, 
um, is going haywire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, interesting. I like it. Angry IP scanner. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Fast and friendly network scanner. I like mm-hmm. it. Cool. All right. Um, um, all right. Next segment. And, yeah. Um. Well, the last one. Uh, okay. Uh, one more. Okay. Uh, thing desktop. I like the, this came out recently, but it does um, health check for your network. Uh, advanced speed testing, level one troubleshooting, notifications of connectivity issues. Yeah. Like every now and then it'll come up. So it, it's smart enough to know your ISP. Okay. Uh, um, and like every now and then I'll get a notification and it'll be like, yeah, DHCP on Optimum is, is, is sucking right now. Oh, or, interesting. um, oh, there's a network outage in your neighborhood. So interesting. Huh? I I haven't I I mean I've seen I guess I no I do run Fing Desktop I haven't seen it I guess I just haven't had those problems <laughs> with Comcast or Consolidated I've I've had it tell me that my Max internet connection is offline but I don't mm-hmm. think I've had it tell me that's interesting that's really helpful that's cool yeah Fing they've done great stuff there I like those folks for sure all right my next thing John is Hoobs and Homebridge. So the idea behind these these tools, so Hoobs really is Homebridge. It's just a different graphic interface for it. And what Homebridge does is it connects your HomeKit network to your non-HomeKit devices, of which I have lots. And so that's sort of the 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 point of this here. And it it works really well. I have this installed in the Docker container and my next segment is on Docker. So watch that if you want to learn how Docker works. But um, but it's fairly straightforward. And the way that it works is you go and you uh, install plugins into your Hoobs setup here. So one of these, um, you know, I, you can see I've got my Arlo plugin and my Eve plugin and my I have a Foscam camera. And I've got some Eufy stuff. Now, some of the Eufy stuff is already HomeKit. Some of it's not. I've got Ring, and it's telling me Ring has an update. That's one of the things I love about this Hoobs interface is it uh, takes care of all that. And you can add more plugins. Uh, I'm not going to show you the configuration for the ones that I have because every single one of them would uh, expose my password. Uh, But I should be able to... Add, yeah, okay, so I could add like a like a Wemo plugin or something, right? If I had Wemo devices that weren't there and I would just click install. If I need to know details, it tells me, okay, look, this is a Hoobs certified Wemo plugin, which means that the Hoobs team, which is an open source team uh, at some level, has gone through and made sure that this like works not just with Homebridge, but with the interface here. And then you can come see all of my devices and uh, and there they are. So, um, here, you know, it's just showing you all the devices and sensors and everything that it has found. Uh, and if I want to, I could turn off the light right from here, right from the Hoobs interface. Now, that's not how it's really meant to work. How it's meant to work is inside the home app. And inside the home app is what we're used to on our iPhones and our, uh, you know, our various Apple devices. And if I can bring up the home app here, which I can, uh, you can see my home app. Now, 
one of my ring cameras isn't showing up here. I don't know why it doesn't show up in the ring rapid ring app all the time either. It will come up eventually, but you can see my driveway camera. That's a live view as I'm, as I'm talking to you here. Uh, in fact, if I could open this little window at the top of the, uh, of the office there, you would see me sitting here talking. You can also see that in our garden camera, which is an Arlo camera. The Hector cam is a Foss cam camera, office basement and office garage. Those are Eufy cams. So those are home kit native and then my pool camera is another Arlo cam. You can see my little pool that I was mentioning that uh, overflowed earlier this morning. Uh, but these are live views of my things. And then, of course, all those uh, various, you know, here's that couch corner lamp. I can turn that off if I want. I can turn it on <laughs> if I want. And that's uh, that's how that's how HomeKit and Hoobs works. It's um, I, I'm I'm a huge fan of this because I don't have a lot of HomeKit devices. I've only got a few and yet the whole family can use their home app to get into the um the you know the all the devices which is great it's not and it's nice to have all the cameras consolidated into one place like i said i've i've got cameras from f- at least four different vendors so yeah that's hoops in homebridge can you share the hector cam <laughs> i did share the hector cam I, oh, you mean, can I share it publicly? I mean publicly? No, it's a camera that's inside my house. No, oh, okay. <laughs> that's the only camera that's inside my house. I'm very careful with. Uh, I remember Am- Ambrosia would, would share the Hector cam. From the office. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, no, the Hector cam. Uh, you can follow Hector at, he- at Hector D B Y R D Hector D bird on, on Twitter. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I don't share. In fact, that camera is is a FOSS cam camera for a reason. It does not go to any cloud. Uh, it is only accessible locally in my house. And so Hoobs is the link to seeing it inside the home app. It's not linked to any cloud service. So, yeah, because it's inside my house and it's got a microphone in it. So, you know, we're very careful with that. Yeah. Yeah. That was Next a four up. minute segment. Go. Wow. Okay, um, care and feeding of your hard drive. Here are some tools that I use um, and you should use. Um, the first one is built into Mac OS and it's this utility. Um, it's good for basic stuff, um, setting up partitions and volumes, some RAID types. Uh, and they have this first stage, which will do some basic analysis and tell you if things things have gone bad. Sure. Um, even with APFS, um, in the early days of APFS, it would it would yell at me that you know something was out of whack, and I think I, I was eventually you know this this is terrible. I'm I'm going to restore from a clone. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, next up, this is a tool that I've been using for quite a while uh, called Smart Reporter. Um, what is smart? Uh, system management and uh, reporting technology. Uh, I'll, I'll look it Something up like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. What is smart? Smart is a standard for hard drives to advertise things that are happening uh, within it. Um, Mac OS will will do basic. Like if you run this utility, it'll actually show you the smart status of the drive. And sure. it's either a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Smart Reporter actually digs deep. Um, so it'll do that uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. But it'll also show you the value of various. Uh, it will show you various smart values. 
Um, and if they exceed, so you can see like, you know, block reallocation and, you know, other horrible things yeah, yeah. that could happen to your drive. Um, lifetime, uh, other things like that. Uh, I, I actually have it set up to, uh, it, it can send you a, a daily status report telling you uh, how your drives are doing. Um, cool. So I, I, I just find that comforting. Um, next up here is Drive DX. Um, I really love this tool. So this will actually do more sophisticated analysis than Smart Reporter in that it'll tell you, um, yeah, your drive is like, you know, at 80%. <laughs> um, it, it, it'll, it'll, it, it's more effective in telling you when your drive's going to fail. Okay. All right. Okay. Good. Cool. Yeah, I actually, it, it was funny because I actually, so I think I told you, I have a one terabyte drive uh, from like 20, 2008. Okay. It's really old. Okay. And, and I actually hooked it up to drive DX and it was like, yeah, it's, it's about 80%. And oh, there's this one parameter that's really out of whack. So the drive's going to fail soon, but it hasn't. So hmm. uh, next up. Um, you may, uh, you know, some people say, oh, you know, the viruses and all that aren't really a risk on a uh, Mac OS. Well, they kind of are viruses and malware. Uh, clam XAV is another tool that I've been using for quite a while. Okay. Uh, it, have you compared it to malware bytes, uh, at all? No. Okay. It, malware bytes. I, I like malware bytes. I, I find it very, easy to use it runs really fast you're seeing a scan of my entire system in real time here and it'll be finished mm -hmm. probably before i'm talking about it. it it you know it i don't like to have a virus protection tool that runs in the background and the free version of malware bytes th that's what you get when you pay for malware bytes is it runs in the background I, I i don't have enough of a risk here that i want background detection so i run this once a week okay. and um yeah, malware bytes and it updates the database all the time and everything. So I was just curious if you had compared the two because because malware bytes is uh, you know one of the more popular ones. So yeah, yeah. I mean the things that that Clam has found is mostly emails with attachments that yeah. have macro viruses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and the last one here, um, clean my Mac X or ten. It's Clean My Mac X. Yes. They were a sponsor for a short period of time, and they corrected us when we did the read and said Clean My Mac 10. So <laughs> Clean My Mac X is definitely the right uh, way to to say the name of that app. So great, um, and it does it does all sorts of things. So it does cleanup, protection, uh, speed, uh, has an uninstaller, and uh, a space allocation tool. Yeah, I. I'm a big fan of clean my Mac, especially the uninstaller and the, uh, the system junk thing. Uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, and space lens, this has become yes. my favorite tool for finding where things are on my Mac. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to run it right now. Evidently I haven't run it on this Mac, at least not since I reinstalled the OS because it needs full disc access and it's telling me it doesn't have it. But, um, I also am not running out of space on this drive, so I probably haven't been driven to run it. But uh, 
it does a great job of displaying where all of that stuff is used. So yeah, big, big fan. Okay. Like Omni Disc Sweeper. Well, yes, except Omni Disc Sweeper is like, it, you have to, you have to jump through a lot of hoops to get Omni Disc Sweeper to see the whole drive, right? Because it, mm-hmm. it doesn't know the right, it, I guess it sort of knows about full disc access now, but you have to run it with sudo, I think still to get that mm-hmm. to run right. Um, clean my Mac just does it. It's uh, all good. So, yeah. All okay. Right. Yes. Um, all right. My last one here, I think my last one here is, um, is going to be Docker. I talked about uh, Plex. I talked about Hoobs and the way to get these things installed or one way to get these things installed is with Docker. Now you can run Docker on your Mac. You can run Docker on your network storage device. You can run it on a PC. You can probably run it on a Raspberry Pi, although it might work. What Docker is, is it creates tiny little single purpose virtual machines uh, very self yeah that that's a good way to think about it because it it is um it is built to be cpu and ram efficient now that doesn't mean that you can't run something like plex that wants to use the cpu for transcoding but it's not going to install like some windowed operating system and all of these other things that are going to take up resources it's kind of efficiency wise it's very close to just running an app on your device but the nice part is it is running inside of its own little linux container which means that you don't have to worry about what platform it's running that that docker is running on so the same container that's running on your mac could run on your network storage device or on your linux machine it's a very portable environment um I'm showing one of my disk stations here and you can see I'm currently running just one container and it's called Minio. What Minio does is it's a open source way of emulating Amazon S3 storage. And I use it for some of my backups. I use ARQ for my backups and it backs up to this Minio container. Uh, but there are other things that you can install. And so like, for example, uh, on this one, I really should be running uh, so, uh, Docker called watchtower because what watchtower does is it watches all of my docker containers and updates them automatically for me if there's a new version uh so the first thing you do is you go to the registry you find the um the container that you want and then you download it now i've already done that because i wanted to save a little time so i have watchtower here i say launch uh and i can choose do i want it to be with high privileges no do i want to have resource limitation no but i could i could say no you only use low cpu only use a certain amount of ram um again it's really built to compartmentalize these things i can go into advanced settings i can tell it to auto restart i don't recommend doing that when you first set up a docker container just in case it doesn't launch right you don't want it to get itself into a loop um, I probably need to follow the instructions for setting up Watchtower to know whether I need to add any network or volume settings here. But at the moment, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to say, yeah, go ahead, create yourself and run the container after the wizard is finished. If I crater my disk station, which I won't because it's Docker. Uh, now I can come up here and see 
is, uh, is it running? No, it's not running. Uh, it stopped unexpectedly, which is not a great surprise because I didn't really follow any instructions uh, to set it up. The best thing to do is to go and look at the watchtower or whatever image you want to run and compare and contrast. Now, what I can do is I can go to my other disk station where I have lots of things running in Docker. This is the one that has hoobs running on it. Uh, it does have Watchtower running on it. It has ZNC running on it, which is my IRC relay, so I can c communicate with all of you uh, at uh, live.macgeekab.com. This is where I was running iPerf before, John. So I run iPerf permanently here inside a Docker container. And that way I can, I always have an iPerf server to talk with. Um, so lots of, it's lots of cool stuff, but what I could do is I could turn off watchtower here. I can shut down the watchtower one. Uh, and then we could look at its settings there. It's finally stopped. So now I can say edit. I do have it set to auto restart here. I don't have any volume settings. I don't have any port settings. I don't have any link settings. Aha. I do have an environment setting. Uh, so I probably need to go to the other side and uh, and configure all of that stuff right here. I guess I would do it there. Watchtower, I would say edit. It probably already has that in the environment settings. So I have no idea why this failed, but uh, but it failed. And so we could look at the log and see can't connect to the Docker daemon. Is the Docker daemon running? Well, yes, it is. So not sure why that failed. Maybe we try again, but it's probably going to fail again. <laughs> So I've got a little troubleshooting to do, but that's how Docker works and that's how Docker runs. And yep, it stopped unexpectedly. I don't know why. I'm sure there's some configuration thing I just need to do. Mm -hmm. But, um, but you know, as you can see, I pulled down images for things like iPerf. I could run an iPerf instance on this disk station. I could run Plex and this is Plex coming from Plex Inc. So this is the official Plex installation they just push it out in addition to pushing it out for Mac and, you know, and Linux and Windows and all of that. They also push out all their updates to Docker so that you get those updates. And now I just need to figure out how to get Watchtower running so that it uh, so that it works. And then uh, it's a little more interesting if you look here. But Docker will tell you how much CPU Docker in its entirety is using. This is the Docker interface, the web interface for my Synology. But that's how uh, that's how Docker works. It says that it's using three and a half gigs of RAM. And I can see. Who's using the most? It seems to be Docker, but it, you know, it's it like, it's fine. Maybe, maybe that's overall CPU usage and RAM usage of my disk station. Cause it doesn't add up. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I love the way Docker works. It's, um, it, it's super handy. Oh, I got to restart my, um, my watchtower container. Otherwise my things won't stay up to date. And that's a handy one to have running. So yeah, that's, um, that's Docker. It's super easy to use. And again, you know, normally uh, you would be following some instruction. You know, I would search um, Google for, uh, uh, you know, a, um, you know, how to set up Watchtower on Synology, right? Tower, Docker, Synology. And then it would give me an instruction. Okay, great. Here's Marius hosting. It would give me an instruction. Uh, you know, do this. Oh, there might be some container that I need to link in the files or something. So, okay, no problem. You do all that and then off and running and it works. So that's Docker. Any questions on that, John? No, I'll have to give it another look. I think I, uh, quite a while ago, I tried to run iPerf. Yeah. And, you know, so I would 
get the IFER package and I would say, okay, you know, fire it up and nothing happened because <laughs> I don't think uh, I had to provide some arguments, command line arguments, I guess. It, Docker which, on Synology, the web interface for Docker, it's built to be a command line utility, right? Docker is, mm -hmm. but the, the web interface for Synology has gotten so much more full featured over the years mm. that now it's, uh, like I almost never have to do anything with the command line, but what you do often have to do is point ports at the Docker. Remember the Docker container is this little self-contained computer. So if you want to access it from your local network, well, you don't see the Docker from your local network. You see the machine upon which it runs. So you, you have to do effectively what becomes port forwarding. So mm -hmm. like on the uh, iPerf Docker, I have to go into port settings and say, okay, whenever somebody attaches to port 5201 of my disk station, connect that to port 5201 of this Docker instance. So it really is port forwarding. And I've told it to do it for TCP and UDP. I am 99% certain that Docker, or that uh, iPerf runs on UDP, but you know, I'm never 100% certain of anything. So I just set both of those up. And now when I connect to this device on port 5201, it it knows to say, right, go to this Docker container. So it's it's port forwarding is essentially what it is. And and now you you didn't used to be able to do that kind of port forwarding with um with the Docker web interface. You had to do it from the um you know from the, the command line and it got I mean it was doable obviously it just got messy. This makes it way easier and keeps all the settings and you can see it and you know all that good stuff. So that's uh that's what we got today. And there we are, an hour and 13 minutes on our show, John. Like, right there. Right where we, uh, right where we thought we would be. Or right mm -hmm. where we would normally have been, I guess is the right way to say it. Hopefully, I, you know, why does my mixer sometimes do this? I don't get to control. See, I like to fade in the sound, but it's not letting me. It's like in some kind mm -hmm. of lock mode. I don't know. I have this I have this nice little fader uh, uh, thing that I can control our levels if things get nuts. And I, I bring the fader down and then I bring our music in. But I can't bring our music in today. Why is that? I don't like that, John. More things to troubleshoot, my friend. Mm -hmm. But that's uh, that's what we do here. So that's what we will do. That's what we will continue to do. Any last bits to add before we uh, before we say goodbye for the day? That was fun. I liked being able to share our screens, and I'm really curious to hear from anyone who made it all the way through listening to this as audio only how this experience was for you. We tried our level best to uh, show things while we were doing them, but not make the content reliant upon audio. And uh, and so let us know. Feedback at MacGeekUp.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, you got anything else to add or are we, uh, we on our way out, my friend? Uh, Twitter. He is Dave Hamilton. I am John F. Braun. There's also Mac Geekab and Mac Observer and Pilot Pete. I we'll think. get him back someday. <laughs> I, I'm, it's going to happen. I'm on it. Mm -hmm. I'm on it. Bullheaded persistence is going to win this one. All right. Thanks for hanging out with us, folks. Uh, of course, our thanks to Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth to get the uh, show from us to you. 
And uh, subscribe to the Mac Geek Cub calendar at macgeekcub.com slash calendar to know when we're live streaming the show. Or just subscribe in your favorite podcast app, and you'll get it after we're finished. Have a good week. Enjoy yourselves. Stay safe. Stay as healthy as you possibly can. And uh, don't get caught. See you later. Made up.